Amen. It's a joy to sing with you today and worship with you. Oh, it's good. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And for the foreseeable future, this uh, will be the last time we'll open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we uh, are wrapping up today our study through this letter that we're calling For the Win. I feel like I need to uh, offer some kind of uh, gratitude to the Georgia Bulldogs for allowing us to use this graphic throughout the fall without any disappointment, uh, just on a, a purely sports uh, level. And I, I did imagine, uh, Lord, what will that Sunday be like when I get to stand in front of that? And that hasn't happened on Saturday. But uh, it sure is fun to win, isn't it? Y'all tell me about it sometimes and let me know. <laughs> we can be uh, committed to something but go through seasons uh, when we don't recognize how much uh, we care for that which we are committed. Let me say that again. We, we can be committed to something, but go through seasons where we don't recognize how much we care for that to which we are committed. In almost unforeseen uh, events, can happen in our life where we enter a time when what we are con committed to consumes us with care. And we get this fresh sense of value and worth and understanding of the treasure that it is that we are committed to. Like a sport committed to some sport, we, we do a sport, we go through the practices, we go through the training, and then something happens where we begin to realize, you know what, I really care about that sport. It's important. It's a big part of my life. It can be that way with a job. We're committed to a job. We don't really realize how valuable it is, how treasured it is, uh, how important it is, but then we go through a season where we're like, I really I value my job. I really care about my job. It happened in a relationship, committed there. But there are seasons where we recognize more than other seasons how important, how valuable, what a treasure that relationship is. And this kind of thing is exactly how I relate this morning to what we call the local church. There's a commitment in my life for uh, almost 40 years to the local church. Uh, uh, my, my commitment in my high school days, in my middle school days, and elementary days was not my commitment. It was my parents' commitment. I was uh, committed to surviving. I was committed to uh, living. I was committed to obeying them. But when I got to college, that local church became my own commitment. 
And over the years, as we just these decades of being committed to the local church, there are seasons where I recognize that that relationship with a local church is more valuable, more treasured, more important than I realized in a long time. And that has happened again over these last four weeks. My hope today is to be able to look in God's word and share with you again what a what a treasure, what a value we have in what we call the local church. How precious it is, how valuable it is. What, what's happened over these last few weeks? I was reflecting on that this weekend. I think back just a few days ago when we had Missions Sunday here. And we, we talked through sharing the gospel with the world. And we saw testimonies of not just our partners in sharing the gospel with the world but we said these are our people and you saw the faces of people the names of people the stories of people that sat in this room just like you are sitting in this room today and now they are waking up in other parts of the world in hard places difficult places some cases beautiful places uh, but sharing the gospel and I and I reflect on that day and I said Lord I love this place I love these people. I love what you're doing in the local church. Last week, uh, Jonathan Mosley being here to preach. I, I don't know if, uh, how that hit with some of you, but for me personally, uh, that was huge to me to know that Jonathan Mosley was standing here in this room preaching the word to the church family that I love so much. Here's a guy that comes to college. God gets a hold of his heart. He answers the call to preach. He goes to the northeast and lives and goes to school. He stays there. He plants his life there. He raises his family there, plants a church there, and they're baptizing people and reaching people from all over the world that's coming into Boston. And there is a vibrant church this morning called Kings Hill that will meet two times in the ballroom of a Hilton this morning because so many people are filling the room. That's just exciting to me. I love what God's doing in the local church. And then there's a couple of sad things. Two funerals over the last week that have been a part of just reminded me of the importance and the value of a local fellowship of believers. There's been two health crises. I think of Lad Hurd, who right now is walking through these days of... of will likely be the last stages of cancer. And that longtime friend and longtime relationship with our church and so many of you, I think some of you may or may not know, uh, and I ask you to pray for Diane Deans who faces a bypass surgery on her heart tomorrow morning. These things just come together and remind us of a treasure. I, I don't know what got you in your seat this morning. Maybe it's habit, maybe it's routine. But maybe God would do something in each of our hearts today to remind us of what a treasure we have in the local church. What God has given us. It really came together Thursday night for me again, and it hit heavy. Once again, we're part of this thing we do in our home called Table for Ten. I think as a picture you have in front of you, this happens in our kitchen, and that um, table in our den 
there it is it's real there's a table for 10 in our house in our kitchen and on Thursday night now 23 months running um, eight more people have joined with Carla and I in our home and the church provides a meal Carla does the dessert and uh, some of you may have seen a social media post that I did this week but I just to just um, read you what was in my heart when that night was coming together it says the table is ready once a month for 23 months we've hosted table for 10 in our home it's been the highlight of ministry all these months getting to hear eight new people each month tell how their story with Jesus led them to connect with Watkinsville is a rich and encouraging experience we always laugh we sometimes cry we also eat talk listen and pray and the night ends and once again I say to myself I love the local church now you may interact with people in your everyday life that are down on the local church I hope that you're in a place this morning where you would be able to say well then you need to try the local church that I'm a part of I want you to look in 1st Thessalonians Paul is writing to this group of believers in Thessalonica I'm so attracted to this letter maybe it's becoming my favorite book in the New Testament uh, it, it and I'm attracted to it because Paul was so encouraged by this church and he would say do what you're doing more and more continue in what you're doing and in chapter five he he writes these final instructions to the church he has no idea if he'll see them again we we know later that he would write them again we have this letter second thessalonians staring at us on the next page but he was so encouraged by the church there and he describes for for us what it looks like to be the kind of local church listen the kind of local church that jesus is coming back for all five chapters end with this description of a finish line. Jesus is going to return. He's coming back. And with that in view, he says, here's how you live. Here's how you live and operate in a church. Here's how you live and relate to one another. Specifically, in verses 12 through 28, he says, until Jesus comes, here's how you relate to your leaders. Here's how you relate to one another. And then here's how you relate to God. And he, and he spells that out. And, and if I had a, you ask the question, hey, Carlos, what are you preaching about today? I, I want to talk to you about the kind of church Jesus will return for. And if there's any, any place in there where we see that we're not that kind of church, we would be saying, Spirit of God, today, make us that kind of church. Now, now here's where it gets personal. A church is made up of people. And the way a church becomes the church that God is sending his son back for is for the people to be the kind of person that he's coming back for. And so we're looking at this and you're saying, Lord, first in my own heart, let me be this kind of person so that we can be that kind of church that you're coming back for. And... Let me, let me read these verses, verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, we ask the brethren, we ask 
you as a fellowship of believers. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, and here you see how he's speaking about how we relate to one another. He says, we, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So let's answer this question. What kind of church will Jesus return for? And if you drift away, let me just go ahead and give you a synopsis of that. And uh, I want to I call time out for just a second. Can I do that? Something's on my mind. I got to do it and say it, all right? Just woke somebody up. What's about to happen in the room? Pat Parks, can you hear me? Is today your birthday? Yes, sir. And is today your 90th birthday? Show us how agile. Stand up for us. Let us see you. Come on. <laughs> Pat Parks. I caught you while I was preaching, you're listening well, and I just, you know, I couldn't keep going without just uh, saying happy birthday to you. We love you. Amen. Well, the kind of church that Jesus is going to return for is uh, where he finds people that know there's work to do, there's worship to offer. And there's a ways to go. And here's the first thing. There's work to do. When you look at these verses, he talks about how we relate to our leaders, our church leaders. And we looked at that a, a couple of weeks back. And then he speaks about how we relate to one another. And that begins in verse 14. And you see the work that we have to do as we relate to one another in the church. He says, we urge you brothers... We urge you, brothers. He's pleading with them. He's showing them the importance of this. This is, this is what the work is that you have to do. And then he, he, he just goes through these very memorable statements. Some of you may have this on a poster or a chalkboard or a dry erase board somewhere around your kitchen or your workplace. And he, he, he just spouts these off. And it's, uh, 
We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. No one repays anyone evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and everyone. That's the work we have to do. He, he, he describes three groups of people here. He's three groups of people you're going to find in your church family. Probably three groups of people that are seated in chairs in this room this morning. And that are, he describes them here as the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. This is a, a brothers who know Christ. Brothers and sisters who know the Lord. You're in this church. There's work for you to do related to those that are idle and faint-hearted and weak. The, the word idle there is, uh, is actually a military term. We see the word idle, we maybe perhaps go immediately to the thought of laziness. The Greek word there was used to describe a, a, a soldier in the military that was, uh, in the simplest way to describe it, was just out of line. Just out of line. Just unruly. Not marching in sync. Undisciplined. Not meeting their responsibility. And, and then he says there are those that are faint-hearted. These are those that would be struggling with doubt or worry, discouragement. And then there are those who are weak. And that reference there to weak would be morally weak or spiritually weak. And, and what is our work to do? He says, well, you, you're to warn the unruly. You're to warn the undisciplined you're you're to warn those who are who are getting out of line and and i want to show you that this instruction is to the this is not instruction given to the um, to the pastor of the church at thessalonica he's writing to the congregation and he says to the congregation his brothers and sisters in the lord you have work to do among yourselves with other believers that you're doing ministry with, that you're doing life with. And work that you have to do in the life of others is to come alongside those who are idle, who are faint-hearted, and who are weak, and to, and to warn them, and to encourage them, and to help them. There's work to be done. The word... Um, Warn there, or uh, to to admonish, or warn is a is a word that says it's it's a calling out. Hey, listen, look how you're living. Look what you're doing. There's a different way. It's correction that happens. It's it's one of the reasons that we have groups. It's not a stranger to stranger. It's in a relationship where you know someone. You go to them. You take serious how they're walking with the Lord, and you're saying, hey. I'm coming to you as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ. I want to warn you. I want to admonish you. I want to tell you, hey, let's go. Let's get back in line. Don't let this go any further. It's a relationship that you have with a brother or sister in Christ. And then when he says to encourage the faint-hearted, he says, come along somebody who's doubting and struggling and say to them, it's going to be okay. You can make it. We can do this. And then when he says help the weak, he's speaking of finding some way to uphold somebody, to put something in their life where they're able to stand when they're tempted. You're there for them to help them have accountability 
when they're when they're weak and not sure they can keep living for Jesus there's a person in the church body that they're in relationship with that's coming along saying hey we're going to walk together we're going to do this together warn encourage and help now we all deal with people and we make jokes about dealing with one another I remember several years ago a friend that was a pastor in Kentucky and it was back when just people were just starting to hear of what was called Twitter and I, I saw his post and and he just simply said okay church enough stupid for this week and and I read that and I thought what has happened in their church and and, and you look at that and 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 you just think he must have heard just one more time something that just kind of pushed him over the edge well Paul's got a word for that Paul goes right into after he's talking about dealing with those that are unruly or faint-hearted or weak he follows it right up with that phrase be patient be patient with them all we all have been benefactors of patience and the instruction here is as we have work to do among the brethren that we do warn we do admonish we do encourage we do help but in the midst of that there are going to be times where our only response is to say suffer long just be patient just hold on don't give up don't quit and that's that's what we do as a body of believers as a church family as we come alongside one another I think about that call to be patient and how we need it from one another uh, you remember a kid's song he's still working on me uh, I, I'm, I, I almost fear saying that because the rest of the day you're all going to be like can't get that song out of my head he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be took him just a week to make the moon and the stars it's a call a reminder to us to be patient with one another that God's at work but there's work to do there's work to do between me and you and getting ready for the return of Christ he goes on he says be patient with them all and then verse 15 speaks of being forgiving toward one another see that no one repays anyone evil for evil in other words he's saying if evil's done to you what do you have to do forgive you have to forgive it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you agree with the wrong that someone did it means that you release them it means that you see Jesus was a forgiving God toward us therefore we can be forgiving toward others he's speaking of peace in the fellowship he's speaking of what happens in a relationship with people and he says as believers in the church don't repay evil for evil and then his last instruction for work to do among the brethren he says seek to do good to one another and to everyone basically he's like look for it hunt for ways to do the right thing hunt for ways to be good to one another now what he's showing us in these verses when we think about there being work to do in the church it shows us that our faith is not passive it shows us that being a part of a church fellowship is not just checking in and checking out it's it's a relationship we're 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 in this thing together 
and if we're going to be the church that is ready for Christ's return, if we're going to be the believers that, is re- that are ready for Christ's return, we need our brothers and sisters to be active in our lives. Alistair Begg says, even though we are brought to Christ individually, we do not live in him solitarily. It's a, it's a reminder to us that this, this fellowship, our fellows in a ship together, trying to make it till we see Jesus. And throughout this letter of Thessalonians, Thessalonians, it, it keeps coming up again and again that the way we win is to help others win. Your brother needs you. Your sister needs you. We need to be in relationship, recognizing there's work for us to do so that others can win. The Bible in Romans speaks about how we have different spiritual gifts. And Corinthians speaks about different spiritual gifts and makes the comparison of how those spiritual gifts are like a body. And their hands, their feet, their nose, their ears, and all those things come together to support the head. The head of the church is Christ. And, and the, the picture here when you work through this is like the hand saying to the arm, come on. I need you to be an arm. It's an elbow saying to a knee, come on. We've we both got to bend if we're going to be able to walk. It, it's, it's the body pulling for one another, encouraging one another, warning one another. And as a, Think about that today. It, it, where, might God, where might God be saying to you this morning, hey, encourage that brother. Help that sister. Warn that friend. There's work to do. Secondly, we see that there's worship to offer. The church is working together to warn and encourage and help, to be patient, to be forgiving, to do good toward one another. But then he says there's worship. Look in verse 16. You begin to see moves from relating to leaders to relating to one another, now to how you relate to God. In verse 16 and 17 and 18, 19, 20, it speaks about worship and how we relate to God. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. What, how, how is this worship? This is how we show and communicate our love to the Lord. This is how we relate to God. How, how this week did you relate to God? Here's how we do it. I don't know how to relate to God. He, he, he just, these short phrases, so powerful, so simple, yet so profound. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's how we relate to God. Before you think about even the actions, think about, uh, notice these three words. After rejoice, what word do you have? Always. 
And then after pray, what words do you have? Without what? Ceasing. And then verse 18, give thanks in what? All circumstances. All three of those words, always, without ceasing, all circumstances. This is the will of God. It's like this encompassing way of how our life is to relate to God. When are we to rejoice? Always. When are we to pray? Always. When are we to give thanks? In all circumstances. This, this picture of rejoicing and praying and offering thanks shows us just day by day by day how to be the people that worship God and when Jesus returns, he finds us to be the people that have celebrated him, have talked to him, have thanked him and shown gratitude to him. To rejoice describes us as being a joyful people. To rejoice always means that circumstances do not steal our joy. It may hurt our happiness, but there's joy because we know there is hope beyond whatever's going on in this life or this world we rejoice through our speaking through our singing we rejoice through our thinking we rejoice with our attitude with our look he says rejoice always and then pray to pray this is a, a the word there's used just this communion with God when he says pray without ceasing He's teaching the believers in Thessalonica that there was not just a certain hour of the day that you could talk to God. There was not just a certain formality in which you went to God. But as you're in a relationship with God that you actually have the privilege to be able to talk to Him, to hear from Him, to commune with Him continually. There's never a it just, it just never stop communing with God day by day, moment by moment, ongoing conversation. And then offer thanks. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Not give thanks because of every circumstance. But it's, a, it's a, gr a sense of gratitude that in the midst of things that are hard and good, we're saying, God, you're sovereign, you're in charge, you know more than I know, you do things different than I might have done them, but in the midst of this, I want to acknowledge everything I have comes from you, giving thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, don't quench the spirit. The word quench there means to put out or... It's like a picture of dousing something that's burning with fire. And, and he says, don't quench the spirit. If you've been in conversation before and you, 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 it, things are going so great and all of a sudden somebody says something and it's just the mood completely flips. And you're like, what just happened? It seemed like things were so good and somebody just quenched the atmosphere of the room. And he's saying to the believers to be the church that God is coming back for, don't don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We do it with sin. We do it with sin. We do it with disobedience. 
We, we do it with things like a lack of rejoicing and a lack of praying and a lack of giving thanks. Those are ways that we quench the Spirit. And he says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Don't despise a prophecy. The word prophecy there would be referring to uh, truth tellers, to people who say, hey, the Lord is, is saying this. And he says, don't despise those things where people say, hey, God is speaking, but what do you do with them? He says, test them. And then when you test them and they've passed the test, you, you, you hold fast to what's good in them. Well, how do we, how do we test prophecies? I want to just, I want to mention to you ways that we test prophecies. And you hear something and say, I don't know whether to believe this or not. And John Stott, so helpful to me, and I think it's so critical. I, I want to use some time to do this. There are five of these. Here are five tests on how you can test if what somebody's saying is true. And they say, hey, God is leading. God is saying. God wants you. They're, they're putting God's name on words that are being spoken. Test one, is it the plain truth of Scripture? Is what they're saying the plain truth of Scripture? One way you know that a prophecy is not true is if it contradicts with what is the living, written, eternal Word of God. Is it the plain truth of Scripture? Test two. Does it it honor the divine human Jesus? In other words... Do they believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Is this, uh, 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 the test is, who is Jesus in this word? Test three, does it pass the test of the gospel being by God's free grace alone? Does it pass the test of the gospel being by God's free grace alone? The fourth test is this, the character of the speaker it matters. The character of the speaker matters when you're testing a person's declaration that this is from God. And then the fifth test, does this word build up the church or does it tear down the church? Over and over again you see in scripture God's instruction is to build up, not to destroy, not to tear down. There's worship for us to offer. And then last, there's a ways to go. Now, verse 23 speaks of sanctification. Look at it. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. I'm going to tell you, verse 23 and verse 24 may be the most encouraging verse that you'll hear all day, all week, maybe the rest of the year. What a verse of hope. Because it is a verse that tells us that wherever we are, that God's not done with us yet. It's a verse that tells you that what God's doing in the life of your kids, he's not done yet. What's God, what God is doing, your brothers and sisters in Christ, he's not done yet. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it is 
Paul praying for people to keep growing in their Christ-likeness, to become more and more like Jesus, to be less and less controlled by sin. And then as he prays, he reminds us that the, 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 the way this is going to work out is that God is faithful. I think in the verse in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it. Faithful to complete it. Now, today we're going to close with a song that reminds us of the faithfulness of God. When we think about being the church that Jesus is going to come back for, I want you to just think about this. Are you doing the work that he calls you to do in the life of others? Seven times in these last few verses, uh, seven times in chapter 5, he uses the word brothers. It's just a reminder to us that the Christian life is not to be isolated. I need you, you need me, we need one another. There's work to be done to get us ready for Christ's return. And then there's worship. Are we worshiping with our whole heart? And then are we leaning on the faithfulness of God to get us ready for that day when he comes back? Let's stand. Caleb, you guys lead us. We celebrate the faithfulness of God.